hrgrapevine.com. It's the HR Grapevine podcast. Hi there, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the pod. Thanks, as always, for joining me this week. And this week, I want to speak to my friends in HR, to my HRDs, my CHROs, my HR managers, even the HR general practitioners. How is it going out there? Are you all overworked? And the reason I ask is because at the end of July, over there on hrgrapevine.com, we wrote a story detailing that there are around 40,000 open job roles for HR practitioners. That's a lot of open roles within the HR industry. So I wanted to get a little bit more clarity on what is happening within the HR industry, within the remit itself. So to do that, I'm bringing on Simon Gear to help me unpack it all. Simon is a director at Alexander Lloyd. It's a recruitment firm that covers many sectors, including HR. And Simon's specialty is within HR recruitment. He loves the HR function. And uh, I wanted to learn more about what's happening within the HR industry. What are the challenges that he's seen when it comes to recruiting? We also touch on degree qualifications and if there are any other skill assessments that HR can do when screening applicants. And then we chat around Generation Z, the younger generation that are entering the workforce and are job hopping as opposed to the older generations like my dad that uh, had the same job his entire professional life. And with that, I wanna know what HR is getting wrong when it comes to retaining the younger employees. So it's a jam-packed chat with Simon about all things HR. I hope you like it. I'm Simon Gear. I work for Alexander Lloyd. I have been an HR recruitment professional for nearly 20 years. Before that, I did a bit of time in HR too. So my my love is is all things HR. And yeah, I, I try and help HR professionals in the southeast of the UK primarily find work in any business, size, shape or sector. Great. Thanks. Yeah. So I, I wanted to bring you on uh, the podcast because I've, I've been following you on LinkedIn and, and really appreciate your sort of insights and expertise within the industry, especially as a recruiter specializing in the HR remit. Right. So I just want to kick it off from your experience, what you're seeing right now. What challenges are you seeing when it comes to recruitment specifically within HR? Good question. I would say it's probably the same as for anyone at the moment, not specific to HR, but there, there are no candidates. There is no one looking for work, it feels like. You know, every, every HR person's in a role, it's a permanent role. They're working flat out because the world's gone mad. There are, I think, over 40,000 HR vacancies alone in the UK at the moment. So uh, this, this has a knock-on to the world of interim, which is a big part of our business. Mm -hmm. um, no one wants to do an interim contract unless they are a, a career consultant now because there's so much permanent work out there. So it's very hard to attract people to, to interim work, which again is, is really what a lot of employers need. At the moment, they have lots of short-term fixes, lots of project-based work, and they, they don't have the spend for another head, but they could bring someone in for a six, nine-month period. So you've got that kind of paradox. Then you've got the salary inflation. Uh, HR people, reward people, talent acquisition people are being paid an awful lot more now than they were two years ago. So I'd probably say it's the first time I've seen a genuine candidate-led market in HR in all my time. You know, it, it's flipped on its head. 
yeah. so that's that in itself brings a whole new challenge. Um, yeah, that's that's what's keeping me up at night. Yeah. So I'm wondering then if on the flip of that, if there's any positives that you're seeing for for me, the one that that kind of that that kind of turned the light bulb on in my head was that that it is a candidate led market. Like for, for me, I, I, I love seeing the advantage where it's the advantage goes to the job seeker. Um, but clearly that might not be for you. But do you see any positives within the recruitment market right now? You, you've identified that well. Yeah, it's my worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, it, it is great for the individuals that you know, have perhaps have a better chance than they've ever had to decide where they want to work and, and base it on the many variables. I mean, for me, I'll be honest, the main positive is probably that realization on a global level that HR is a really high demand skill set. An industry, mm. you know, it's. I mean, we've always known that we we work in the industry, but it's probably never been seen on that same level. And and one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that HR has been elevated as this, you know, valuable strategic partner to the CEO and the C-suite. And you know, I think over, overnight everyone's stock's gone up, which is is a great thing for HR professionals. You know, they're they're right in the thick of it now and have really kept businesses moving over the last along with the it functions who've enabled yeah. us to do the kind of thing we're doing today yeah so uh one thing you said there that i want to follow up on if i may quick is is mm. basically the evolution of the hr function uh throughout the course of the pandemic now for me my past experiences with hr would be get the offer letter sign the offer letter get onboarded um get compl- uh, the they were the avenue to complain to. They were the avenue mm. that would come to me if someone were complaining about me. And then when I would resign or be made redundant, that's the exit interview and the severance package. What sense do you make of that quick evolution where HR overnight became not just like this sort of, you know, enemy of the company? And and I default back to the American version of the office, right? With Michael Scott and Toby, you know, being the one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but quickly, HR came, you know, all of a sudden, uh, employee well-being was really mm. factored in and mental health. And so I'm, I'm guessing I, I just would like to pick your brain on how you think of that evolution. And, and if it's that something that you always knew or something that you were surprised of or something that you are like, it's I'm glad it finally I'm glad everyone's finally realizing. OK, that's there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, yeah. I'd say. From uh, if I talk about you know UK HR people, they've probably felt for some time that the the more transactional stuff you described, you know, as you say, the onboarding, the life cycle stuff, that's key. It's important. You know, business needs that. But it's once you've got it working, it kind of runs itself. Especially if you've got the right tech, the right system, the right processes. Mm-hmm. It's for the for the last. I mean, I, I got into this you know early two thousands, and it was very much about the business partner role. We right. moved from HR generalists or business partners, sorry, or managers to business partners. And it was working out what that meant. And, it, and I guess the idea was that it's, you know, it's an internal consultant badged on to a particular population. So you become an expert with those people in that field and you mm-hmm. become part of their business and you don't report to HR, you report to the, the MD or the leader of that business. And right. I think that's been going on some time. And with those relationships that have been built or fostered, when something you know, crazy happens like the pandemic, which is, is obviously was life changing for all of us. 
you know, you HR <laughs> to go back to yours. It wasn't an enemy of the company. It wasn't Toby. It, right. was, it was far more a friend actually, and a almost an uncomfortable companion and a consultant who would sit down and go, right, all this has happened. What do we need to do to get you guys working tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those solutions were people solutions. You know, how do, how do the managers engage with their staff, talk to their staff, comfort them in this time of immense emotional turmoil? How do we link in with technology and make sure that we can all talk to who we need to talk to tomorrow and see who we need to see? To, so, so I think... I think HR has been moving that way for a long time and, and in, in some cases has moved that way for a long time. It was more just the, the need for people support, for coaching, for mentoring, for leadership. And these right. are key HR skills that they're trying to get into the business. And it was all needed overnight. Right. <laughs> and and that, that kind of put them under the spotlight. And I think HR had a chance to fail um, and it probably did in some businesses, do you yeah. know what I mean? But, yeah. but equally, it had that opportunity to succeed, which it definitely did in some organizations. And now we see, you know, well, well-being high on the agenda. A lot of people went on all these great things, these yoga classes and all these events that were run during lockdown to keep employees up, to keep the culture mm-hmm. alive. A lot of that, I think, was, was hung on HR, and I think they delivered. Great. So now I, I, I want to shift the, the tone of the chat here. I want to get into the HR remit within itself. You had posted something on LinkedIn that I caught my attention. It's something that we had written about as well in hrgrapevine.com. And it's around this concept of degree qualifications. Right. Lots of stats and comments from the CIPD about how these generic qualifications are in fact leading to skills gaps and reducing opportunities. Um, And they seem to be that default, right? Whenever I see a job listing, here's what we would like do you have this this piece of paper? But as we move into this new world of work, how valuable is a piece of paper? So what I am wanting to know from you is what can HR do to offer up sort of different skills assessments when they are screening potential applicants? Okay. So I remember this This was a CIPD piece that was put out. And yep. yeah, I remember I read about it on Grapevine, actually. Yep. So I don't, firstly, I don't think anybody is necessarily giving a university education uh, a kicking here. It's essential for so many roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact remains, I mean, I'll be honest about this, loads of HR professionals don't have a degree. Right. Uh, and, and they don't need one. Do you know what I mean? There are plenty of postgraduate vocational HR courses, long and short. There's obviously the CIPD piece itself, no link to the article, right. um, you know, that, that give people the theory and the knowledge to do the HR job. Um, so the, I guess the, my, my post initially was about, you know, why bother even having it on there then? If, you, if you're going to employ people without it, let's maybe trailblaze and take it off and go, no, you, you, we don't care if you've got a degree. You know, it's, it's about the skills and experience. Now, a, a degree may give you those skills and experience, but the work itself, if you work your way up internally, would provide same, possibly better valuable experience. Um, so I think partly it's about qualification by experience being taken more seriously in a formal way, um, which is also a bit less contentious from an EDI perspective if you've not had access to a university yeah. education for a number of reasons. However, to your point, in terms of screening candidates, I mean, there have always been assessment events. There have always been ways of testing a degree of skills and knowledge to see if someone's able to do a job. You know, there are, this is basic as doing a quiz. Um, I mean, we, we use it. If we, if we are hiring a resourcer to work for Alexander Lloyd and and they, someone said, Oh yeah, I'm great at sourcing candidates. We'll try and test them. You know, we'll give them three or four tools and say, find me the best 
you know, pensions administrator in Bognor <laughs> that okay. you can, um, who's perhaps available for an opportunity. And you can observe that person and see how they use the tech, whether they've got those skills and experience, or whether they're, they're winging it, basically. Yeah. So I think there, there's also a lot of verbal, numerical reasoning tests. Um, there's that piece. Equally, there's the, you know, the famous trial period. You know, if you've mm-hmm. got someone that doesn't have a degree, but you think has the skills and experience, hire them for a month, give them a trial, give them a shadow and a rotation around the business, see how they perform, they get the job or they don't. You know, it's, there, there are many different ways, I think, of engaging with someone rather than just screening people out of a process. Yeah, yeah. So um, again, a, a follow-up, if I may, you keep mentioning, it brings up questions around ED&I. Can you mm. kind of elaborate on that a little bit? suppose with any of these things, you know, there is a school of thought that a CV, a written document has less opportunity to perhaps be prejudiced. You know I mean? Especially in the modern world, a lot of CVs are coming through that are non-gender specific. The names are removed. You know, you can take a lot from a CV to make it pretty anonymous apart from the skill set. You know, right. I mean? you can take out age, race, background, dates, you know, all this kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, on a call like this, you might look at me and think, oh, great, another, you know, middle class white male. I don't want to hire this guy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there, there, there are those pieces that I think we always need to be mindful and conscious of. But again, you can interview someone without, without the image. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, there's ways around this. Yeah. When, um, I had hosted a webinar uh, a couple months ago about a uh, with, with the concept of scrapping the CV altogether, and one of the points that uh, they had brought up was this idea of how, for someone who is neurodivergent, right? And when we talk about ED and I, neurodivergency mm-hmm. certainly has gotten a well-deserved attention over the last couple of years because people with neurodivergencies are actually uh, super, super talented and see things away totally different than the neurotypical can't but unfortunately there's this sort of roadblock of of kind of translating themselves on paper when they can't into a cv so i'm i'm i would personally love to see this idea and again you can't do a cv list uh job job post for all roles much like you know i don't want to go to a surgeon who doesn't have a degree right but um i i, I certainly do think that's something that's hopeful and I, I get excited when i talk to thought leaders like you about this stuff and how quickly the world of work is changing right yeah so with that i'm going to flip on to our next topic here and i want to talk about the generational gaps within work okay um my dad only had one job his entire career <laughs> 30, 40 years. I mean, granted it was his own business, but it was still his and he was within it the whole time. But a lot of my peer group, our parents that are now retired, uh, worked at a place for 30 to 40 years. Mm. I'm 40 and I think this is probably like my sixth or seventh professional role, right? So things, it's just my proof here that, that, that the world of work, work today is not the same as it was even in 1982 compared to 2022. So with that, we have the Gen Z culture that's coming up, coming out. And with that, they're job hopping already. Uh, Human resources has a sort of obligation to keep attrition low, right? Keep talent in. Mm. So what is the remit getting wrong when it comes to retaining these younger employees? If we could answer that, 
we would be very popular people. And, right, uh, you know, I, I could fly a private jet to, to, to have this conversation, but, yeah. but it wouldn't be very environmentally friendly. No, I guess uh, there, are some, there are some things that HR can do. I mean, firstly, I think there, there, there's been a lot said around millennials, gen, Generation Y and, and Z, that, that they are less motivated by money, perhaps more by career development, by variety, by their, by their social conscience. Um, so yeah, the whole job for life thing, my, my dad, like my dad had two jobs, one in the forces, one out of the forces, that was it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, whereas I suppose even my, I'm generation X, I think technically, which was kind of a, you've got a job in three years time, you can join the management trainee scheme. And right. at the end of that, in another three years, you'll be a manager. So you have kind of had this site of in six years time, I could be the guy telling me this. Uh, so I, I think that's less appealing. Those timeframes are too long. Society is different. You know, the, these, these generation Y and Z have had perhaps, you know, different support from their parents. They're probably learning from our frustrations, mm-hmm. but there are things that can be done to try and retain early talent. There are things like trainee schemes from day one. So what I just mentioned, when you join an organization, you should be able to enroll on a trainee scheme to do what you want to do longer term. Um, and you should perhaps be incentivized to do that from day one, um, to try and lock people into that business and understand the culture and learn more about it. Secondly, it's about, I think, HR should foster a culture and a performance management process that encourages regular positive feedback, not an annual appraisal. You can't get told, well done, or or you're stuffed up once a year. Do you know what I mean? It needs to be regular, ongoing, conversational. So people hear regularly that they're developing, you know, and that I think is is going to appeal to Generation Y and Z. Um, Managers need to be able to manage. I I mean, I genuinely recorded a podcast this morning on the flip side of this. So I was the host with an HR director and he was talking about how the skill set of a manager has changed post pandemic. They, it, it isn't good enough to just be good at your old job. You, you know, a great manager or a great leader is sticky. You know, they, they reduce attrition. So HR needs to ensure that the organization is creating these leaders because they're the ones that have the influence over right. whether people go or stay. Do you know what I mean? They need to be great leaders, great coaches, great counselors, as well as technically excellent at getting you know, the widgets made or whatever it is. Um, HR need to make sure they talk about internal mobility. That needs to be everywhere, talked about every day so everyone can see the internal opportunities. And if they suddenly think, oh, hey, I, you know, I'd like to work in finance, they need to see that finance are recruiting and yeah. that they will take people without experience from the organization. Um, so to make that part of the culture that people do, move, you know, people move around here, people stay, but they, they work in 19 different departments. That's great. You know, that's a great thing. Um, There are mentoring schemes internally. You know, if there's a, if there's a name or a subject matter expert in a business, these connections should be made very quickly. You shouldn't have to wait three years to get a mentor and all this. They they should be great opportunities. And again, that's, that's kind of facilitated and sponsored by HR. Um, Earlier on in, in the pandemic, I spoke to a guy uh, a, a talent acquisition leader worked for a big technology firm and they were starting something that they called, I'm trying to remember, I think it was called Open Talent, but it was really good. It was where in their organization as a big global firm, they just had a list of stuff that they needed to get done. Mm-hmm. They would throw it out there and employees could effectively apply internally to do this work as part of an internal project team alongside their day job. 
Right. Um, so they'd have to give up a bit of their own time, but equally, I think the company gave them, you know, so much time a week to get involved in these projects and they would learn and develop and deliver practical things for that business in a field that wasn't their own. And these are great learning opportunities and much cheaper than bringing in hard mm-hmm. to find talent, especially in, in, the, in the current market. And again, you're, you're probably going to keep your great performers if you can do stuff like that. Um, couple of other things. There's the whole values and beliefs thing. I mean, you've got to right. get this right as a business. You've got to offer CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility opportunities, talk publicly about the great things your business does, whether it's for the environment, whether it's for local communities, whether it's for charities, you know, offer these charity and well-being days that, you know, not everyone does that still. And it's, it's something that makes you feel good about what you do and where you work. Um, but that perhaps the, one of the biggest things, and this, this came out of a conversation recently, is, is the community piece. So Generation Z and Generation Y are joining the workplace, and they, they don't have a network, and they don't have relationships, and they're harder now virtually in this remote world. So if you can co- create a community at work and friendships at work, I mean, how many people met their husband or wife at work? You know, yeah. guilty. Okay. Um, people might stay. So if you can group those people together, let them create a network, you know, new alumni 2022, um, create activities for these people, discussion groups. Again, you create a sense of community, which is going to encourage people to, to remain involved. And, and the, the last point I make, the obvious one, flexibility. These guys yeah. don't want to work eight to eight Monday to Friday. They want yeah. a nine day four fortnight or a four day week, or they want to work from home when they've got, you know, head down time. They want to be in the office when they've got heads together time. Um, they want a work life balance, and these are all things that that HR has a, a big stake in delivering. I think. So it sounds like HR just kind of needs to contemporize their thinking be more modern along with to kind of match the tone of the talent that they're trying to keep or in a lot of case acquire. I think definitely. I think, oh, uh, to be honest, it's probably not the HR people we need to convince. It's, right. it's the exactly. people they report to. Do you it's, know what I mean? So I think yeah. they, they need to show that by doing this, we'll yeah. save this much money on recruitment fees, you know, retraining fees. Uh, and, you know, our, our reputation goes up, you know, the, the value of retaining that talent is exponential. Right. If you could cost out how many days a job stays vacant, as opposed to cost out what a nine day fortnight might look like, you'll have any CFO. Uh, I'm not a CFO, but I'm guessing they love a spreadsheet. So I'm, uh, you'd have any CFO going, absolutely. Rubber stamp. I don't even know if they'd use rubber stamps, but that's how I imagine it. I like to think they do. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, Simon, thanks so much for your insights within uh, the HR remit post-pandemic. And thanks again for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Once again, I just want to thank Simon Gear, the HR recruitment specialist uh, and a director at Alexander Lloyd for helping me unpack what's happening within the HR industry. Also, special thanks to Simon for, um, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, indulging me with my reference to The Office and uh, Toby Flenderson. Need more Toby in the world, as I always say. But no, it was a really good conversation with Simon. I really enjoyed it, really learned about the struggles within recruiting for HR roles and also how HR can be a little bit more empathetic and a little bit more modern when it comes to the younger generation. 
So I hope you got some key takeaways as always. Thank you for listening. And I will speak to you next week right here on the HR Grapevine podcast. <laughs>